And this is episode 16 of Eating Cake. I can't believe we've gotten this. I know. (laughs) And you were coming to you through the technological magic of Skype and Anchor. And how are you doing, Ruth? I am well. It's quite a time we live in right now. Tomorrow is the, I think, the Electoral College vote. And I'm also working on my novel to publish it in a week from tomorrow. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. And I am totally excited to, <laughs> to, to read this novel and for your la- your online launch party. Because oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. We definitely, and that's coming up New Year's Eve, and we definitely need some celebratory energy mm-hmm. that is related to the arts. And yep. celebrating life and celebrating creativity. So absolutely, uh, the first uh, people who are performing is a group of belly dancers. So are oh really? Oh, that's <laughs> so great! Yeah, it'll be fun. Oh great! Yeah. So what else is on your agenda? Like in terms of, I know we wanted to t- check in around news and what's going on. So. What's so on your basically, mind? yeah, so we got the electoral college thing. I'm personally off work for three weeks, so I've tasked myself with uh, creating a, an entire marketing plan for my book. <laughs> and and um, the world, uh, the world is suffering. It's just so apparent every day. Everyone's so stressed and so fearful. And like, you know, the question all the time that I hear people who are conscious asking is how can we help them what can we do how can we move the world forward you know yeah I mean what can we do how can we help the world move move forward is a really interesting um way to frame it I mean because there's so much you know there's so much activism and at the same time it also feels like some things just stand, you know, like are almost immovable because of those institutionalized structures. But, you know, I feel like there are spaces of hope and like those spaces of creativity um, that actually allow for new visions of the world to be reborn. And I'm, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing your pod, not your podcast, but your book actually probably relates to envisioning a new world or kind of what's coming. Yes. Uh, you actually, uh, hit the nail on the head. Is that the term? Yeah. Um, the, it started out like, uh, from my activism, like I started being an activist in 2016. And I realize now that like we can protest all we want, but until we can help people see how it actually could be and how it is possible, um, we're not going to get enough people to join us in creating a better world. And it doesn't have to be like a utopia, Um, for God's sake, if we just had Medicare for all, we would be just like all the uh, European nations that have it. I mean, it's not in Canada. It's not utopian at all. It's just like, what is the matter with us? Uh, We're like the, we're like the one kid in the class. It just never gets it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's something here that's really important. I, and I think that's why I, I wanted to ask you about writing today in your creative process, because it's really interesting to just see how people are, you know, and not to be derogatory, but they're mentally hobbled by, you know, you know, not just the news media, but just kind of like the daily grind of living and it hampers us from really, um, just tapping into our own creative processes. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. And I think like, I think novels, the reason why I sat on a novel is, um, well, I don't feel that equipped, but I just decided to do it because somebody, some of us have to just go ahead and do this thing. But novels hold great promise. Um, the Civil War and slavery ended. Um, I don't think it ended because of Abraham Lincoln. I think it ended because of Harriet Beecher Stowe and mm. Uncle Tom's Cabin. And a lot of books will say that's the case. And, and um some of these writers aren't the greatest writers. Like I can say I'm not the greatest writer in the world and I had to really work at it a lot and get help. But the vision of it is what people need. They need to be able to read a book and, and feel inspired by a book and see a vision and think uh, that they that's the vision that makes more sense than what is going on now. And that's like my whole motivation for this because what I really want to do is just write poetry for the rest of my life. I don't want to write another novel. Yeah, well, I, you know, I feel that writing is really good. Writing is a sacred act. Um, I, you know, my own process of putting together my dissertation Yes. Was really interesting because, and I had a very particular sacred practice um, around writing my dissertation research that was very related to the four directions, the elements associated with the directions, and really tapping into my own dreams. Like my dreams were guiding actually one of the chapters in my dissertation. I might have mentioned this before, is actually based on specific dream material that I saw in my dream and actually, um, interestingly, it actually, years later, actually like during the last couple years, I actually saw a scenario from my dream in my waking life. So it's, you know, there's that piece there that dreams can help us tap into um the present the past and variations on a possible future and i learned that particular the way that language from jeremy taylor and robert moss um who were two of my mentors around dream work but not not to get off on that track altogether but the writing process was really sacred to me. And I actually just wanted to talk to you about like, what is it about writing for you that is, feels like I'm hearing from you that is a sacred act? Well, that's interesting. Uh, I think this whole train of thought is interesting because 
Um, I've actually thought about language, I've thought about writing, and I've thought about speech. And in actuality, when you really, really come down to what it is, you've got speech, which is basically blowing air out your mouth and expecting someone who seems to be right there to understand what you're blowing out your mouth. And, and writing is the same way. It's just putting like scratches of things on paper. And from there, people will read it and, and have it affect their mind and imagination. And it is magic. That is the realm of Hermes, the, mm-hmm. the god of communication and, and the trickster, the, the, the Native American symbol that goes between worlds, because in actuality, like, all we can really say are these are like pieces of pen on paper or typewriters or computer screens. So it's just sort of a mystery to me still. And like, I think becoming a good writer means that you understand how it's never going to be perfect that you're always going to be weighing all of these different areas and trying to communicate your vision as well as possible. And like, I actually don't feel like I did a lot of planning. I just sort of spilled these chapters on the paper, things I imagined, things that like one chapter is based on my hospital experience. And every time I read it, I start weeping, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is not what I expected, but a lot of it is just from my imagination. And I basically wanted to create, wanted to write just a really interesting coming of age stories with drama, like love and sex and death and birth and a chase scene, you know, something that could be turned into a movie. But the entire backdrop is different than this capitalist world that everyone becomes an object to be bought and sold or everything does that um, there's no more billionaires. And so everything's evened out and everyone can have like a job they like and with less hours and um, they don't even have to work. In the world I created, if you really don't want to work, you are entitled to have a small, tiny, like eight by 10 room and you don't have to do anything for it and you have access to basic, basic food. But most people choose to work because... um, because they want to have a little extra. But I feel like that was my backdrop that I wanted to create. That was the imagination. And for the rest of it, I just wanted to tell a story that was compelling. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and see, that sounds really inspiring to me, like telling a story that's compelling and envisioning a new world and, And, you know, that's so interesting what you're saying around, you know, being, being, being given like the basics, you know, like I, you know, that's kind of what I believe, you know, I think people, you know, in order to, to reduce human suffering, we should all be offered the basics in order to survive. Living should not be criminalized if you're poor, (laughs) you know, and and but people do want people do want to do things that are meaningful like we're i think that's mm-hmm. i think that's the the harm of the, of the capitalist mindset you know it's that there's you know our work ethic is must be tied to 
the spirit of capitalism. You know, I think I think Max Weber really nailed it. You know, when he said like that Protestant ethic, you know, is greatly co- is conjoined with the spirit of capitalism, and that's yep. that's that's the harm in the world today. And you know, that's connected to like this drive of the prosperity gospel. Like you're richer, yeah. that means you're getting into God's kingdom. Yeah. When really. People want to do meaningful work, and just because we're not getting paid for it doesn't necessarily mean that, or just just because capitalism isn't involved, I should say, doesn't mean that we won't do things that are inspirational and creative. Um, And I think that's where the harm is really done when people are talking about, oh, we need to give money to the job creators. Like those are the, those are the people that are really creative. It's actually, no, we are creative. And we are all creative. Yeah. And you're, and this goes back to like this idea of robbing us of our creativity, but I want to go back to what you were saying about the air, like breathing out, like these words of utterance, uttering certain things. Um, and writing is a, I mean, we're not necessarily speaking it aloud, but writing is a form uh, of like the way I was taught um, by one of my mentors. And he didn't write this, but one of his mentors wrote it, um, Bill Gray, who said, you know, you know, words are a condensed form of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So the words we choose in terms of naming the world, in terms of describing it, you know, is our condensed forms of consciousness, which organize our world and organize the images that we have, Um available to us in our sacred imagination. So I just wanted to yeah. um, ask you what you thought of that, because I, you know, I really like talking about this idea of words being in condensed forms of consciousness. Well, um, there's this famous quote. Um, I think it was Shelley who said that poets are the unacknowledged legislators of mankind. Mm. And, and it's true. And I would say poets but also the whole idea of creating a world Tolkien did it and like you know we all try to do it a lot of us writers and like I'm certainly not going to put myself even in the same category but but like it's a really good pastime and it's magical because Mm -hmm. you know it helps people break out of this uh training that they've received that they can't they shouldn't envision anything beyond the four walls and beyond their like eight hour timesheet that they have to punch, you know? And if they do, then it just makes them a bad employee. And the best thing in life is to be a good employee. And, you know, this whole idea of a civilization based on the powerful employers and then employees who do do their bidding and make their products. I mean, it just reminds me of the slavery that was used to create the pyramids of Giza. I mean, how far have we really advanced, you know? Yeah, America is poised to bomb anywhere in the world, but like, what good is it, you know? I mean, I don't wanna live in a world like that. I wanna live in a world where we create friends and we 
every single person has the opportunity to like use their potential like they can be great artists and they can be writers and they can be poets or they can just like be and like I think my proudest chapter that I've read that I wrote is uh, one that's modeled on Thomas Gray's Elegy in a Country Churchyard. Mm-hmm. It's this great poem that he wrote um, in the Romantic tradition, which is all about being close to nature, and it's all about the common man and how great the common man is. Um, so it's this, uh, he walks through this churchyard graveyard and talks about how great these people were and and that they weren't famous or anything but um they could be could have been and and so i have this chapter that i um did at a uh crown hill cemetery where the two the gal and her best friend walk through at night and um and it's sort of a uh an uh, homage to this poem and they talk about how great Seattle workers were and they were the unsung people and not famous but um and then they see the ghost that is actually purported to be there and um I also touch on metaphysical and spiritual the spiritual realm in this book several times there's a druid ritual there's a witch's ball that they go to mm-hmm. and there's a ghost and I th- think there might be a few other things I can't think at the moment but it it's like um one time I went to um a Tara workshop at the Tibetan Buddhist monastery I was a member of where we would do a mandala dance uh we started out Friday night did all day Saturday and then Sunday we learned this dance it was very much of a like um meditation too we and it was the first time I actually was taught to meditate to visualize that imaginary well the inner world Mm -hmm. and to actually try to go there and it was the first time I did that I actually felt something qualitatively different and I felt like I'd been somewhere so they had us visit the realm of Tara and then the teacher when she was uh teaching us she said she actually saw Tara once like the being Tara the Mm. Buddha who's this compassionate Buddha who will help anyone regardless of whether they're Buddha so I always pray to her anyway so Tara said that she could ask her one question so the question this gal asked is are you real and and so um, Tara answered back she goes I'm as real as you are. Mm. So that's what I had the character do to the ghost and um, who is supposedly there, sings opera, that she floated down to them and the character asked her if she was real. And then she said that I'm as real as you are. And it comes from that experience of my teacher who actually had an encounter with the Buddha. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. That's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and, you know, I, and I feel like that's what this time is asking us to do, which is, you know, the time of COVID, the time of living in a pandemic, it's, requ- it's asking us to, to distance ourselves from the, the time, the compression of time related to the quote unquote modern world that's asking us to always speed up 
mm-hmm. and to and to ignore cyclical time, you know, and to because we've been preoccupied with linear time, with moving forward, you know, or going backwards. You know, it's really interesting. Excuse me to hear people say, oh, I want things to go back to normal. Let's go backwards <laughs> or right. we need to move forward. Move, And you'll hear things people say like moving forward. Back to know, business. The, back to business, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we can't live like this forever. But maybe, you know, maybe, you know, if we slow down enough to pay attention to the world around us, that we might expand our awareness and realize that we, through our creative energies, we actually carry more power than we think we do. I Um, I like that. And in fact, can I add on that a second? Yeah, please. So, um, like I come from a, a religious background. I went to a Christian college and they were mostly fundamentalists, but I grew out of that. But I see religious fundamentalism everywhere and and it's only a minority, but most people are ready to move on from that. But I also see in political thought, I see a sort of fundamentalism as well, that it's anti-religion, anti-spiritual, very materialistic, very business-oriented. Because I think a lot of traditional Marxists would say that... Um, capitalism was fine we just have to move beyond it so that more people get to benefit but I think we can actually combine the best of them and sort of move forward from there Uh, the best of like socialism and the best of religion or spirituality because I don't think like if we have a world where everyone has a job they like you know why 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 are we existing i think that's we can never leave that out of the equation we can never leave out this what people would call the inner path or the spiritual path or the even the soul or the spirit or love or compassion i think it's a mistake for the political ideologies to leave that out and i'd personally like to see them combine and that's what i think that's what my book also tries to do is make people see how they can be combined. Yeah. I mean, I really like that a lot. I I mean, that's, you know, like I, I think, I think that goes back to, you know, our grounding in indigenous wisdom traditions, be it, you know, you know, European, Western European indigenous traditions that were eradicated by the colonialists or, you know, indigenous traditions here that were also eradicated by you know <laughs> right european colonialists so so it's just it's really interesting to see that you know this kind of holistic you know understanding the great mystery of life um is something that everyone's just trying to uh, trying to reconcile you know like even these discussions of science and spirituality like, oh, we have something in common. Well, of course we did. But it was science and the enlightenment thought processes that, you know, gave us that split um, between the mind and body and mm-hmm. and that um, 
segmentation or the fragmentation of self where we live in this mechanist where the idea is that we live in this mechanistic world and we don't and it makes me think um of something that we were talking about before which was you know a little bit just like a few minutes before we actually started recording which is kind of understanding you know what when people talk about magic um, what exactly are they talking about? What exactly do we mean by magic? It's not hocus pocus. It's not, you know, conjuring up or invoking, you know, yep. and uh, one of our men- one of my mentors, and I was referring to him before a little bit too, RJ Stewart, he always talks about um, how we're not invoking anything and these things we can't invoke them these uh, great cosmic powers we can't invoke the great we can ask them for their presence we can be in relationship to them but who are we to just carry on talking about we're going to invoke you know x y and z which is which is kind of funny it's like we're in relation to them. And it goes back to all my relations and actually living in a more indigenous way that respects, you know, our place in the world. And we're not at the top of the food chain. We're just one of many beings on the planet. Part of the circle. In fact, um, Mm -hmm. I studied uh, Alaska native formalin art for about three years. Um, and um, in the class, uh, we learned a little philosophy, of course, but the thing about the Northwest Coast formline dessert, uh, that's the kind of art with the black curvy lines and, and it's red too, and it's just beautiful, like killer whales and ravens. Mm-hmm. So the thing about that kind of art, that tradition is anytime there's human representation in it, the human is only a part of the whole circle of it. It's not like always like the ruler over it. It's incorporated into the holistic vision of the universe. And and like the, um, the people with that hardened capitalist mindset that you have to create a separate reality from the actual universe, they don't get that. And the thing is that, that, um ruling the rulership away uh, does not lead to magic it just leads to death because ultimately and i hate to be like debbie downer here but the capitalist system will lead to global warming which will lead to a lot of death and destruction if we don't stop it um so it doesn't you know on the surface at first maybe if you bomb someone you can you can bring them into subjection, but overall you're not going to be winning hearts and you're not going to be long-term being able to rule, quote, unquote, rule over somebody. The only way to rule over somebody is to love them and see what their needs are and see how you can help them get their needs met while you also get yours met. Yeah, no, that's a great, you know, I, I love this idea of talking about proper rulership you know, because um, one of the things that we can we can really go far with this, like improper what like what constitutes improper rulership. So if you talk about it in terms of the Bible, 
you know, <laughs> one of the first improper oppressive rulers was Nimrod. And they, you know, and this was the, the story of how they wanted to create a tower, you know, that went, you know, went all the way up into the skies and into the heavens. And this is, you know, this goes back to Rastafarian traditions too, about like creating these institutions and edifices that basically are confusing. And, you know, it goes back to the tower of Babel and they will come down because they're, they're against, they're, they're against, you know, the circle of life. They're about, you know, man, humans, man in particular dominating the world. And the other one that, you know, comes to mind, well, and then, you know, the, yeah, and that relates to Noah and the flood because of mm-hmm. the abuses. So there's actually, sorry, I, I have a few thoughts. This is like, oh, no, yeah, there's a whole great. bunch of thoughts around I this. know. <laughs> but that relates to, you know, those Atlantean traditions of, uh, like, worlds being submerged because of, you know, because of various abuses. No one really knows what happened. Oh, it's a big mystery. But maybe it really isn't a big mystery because no. yeah. we are in a situation right now where we violate the planet. We violate all of the the living creatures they move in and out of extinction or endangered species. You know, we chop down things and we abuse, you know, the planet by extract, by resource extraction and heavy metals. And then we abuse people to design, to design things that actually are dehumanize us in the process. So, you know, going back to the Atlanteans, Atlantean stories about, whole civilizations being submerged made me think about, yeah, well, there's climate change. Well, the sea levels are rising. Well, there's mudslides. You know, these are not, those are timeless stories that have relevance to how humans abuse the world and abuse each other and abuse all of our relations. So, there is some real, I think there's some real warnings to take away from that. It's really sobering to think about, well, those are, we're, stop searching for Atlantis, you know, in that way, because the humans create Atlantis, you know, create the story of Atlantis and create the tragedy, so to speak, of it by 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 creating worlds that are impossible to sustain so yeah yeah yeah. and i just thought it made me just think just one more connecting thought and then i'll hand it over it made me think oh yeah yeah arthurian legends and how male energy like king arthur for example had to have a respectful relationship with the land and Mm -hmm. that his power was conferred by women, you know, through, uh, through um, the, the Avalonian traditions and through the women who were mediating water. And so, so that wasteland, so to speak, you know, that story of the wasteland is about being in right relationship to the land and being, uh, and holding that king, kingship as sacred, as stewardship, and as like a land protector. Like, be, so 
just, yeah, those were kind of some ideas kind of floating around in my head based on what we just talked about. Well, I love what you said about King Arthur because that was my understanding, too, that the grail is the healing of the land, although I do suspect there may be a real grail, and I have an idea where it might be. But (laughs) (laughs) the (laughs) the symbol of it, yeah, it's healing the land, and it's these feminine energies. Um, Like, it's just insane. It's just insane that... I think Bernie Sanders woke everyone up because before him, I knew it was insane. And a bunch of us, millions of us knew it was insane, but we felt like there wasn't anything we could do. Now we're all online and we're talking to each other and maybe we're fighting, but there's still a lot of us trying to talk to each other. And like what we have to do is not complicated. It's not out there somewhere to figure out. It's not, it's in front of our face, you know, like me, I went to college, I have a degree in literature and a certificate in poetry writing. And so like I could write a novel, so I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to try to incorporate all the things I know about like socialism and activism and what we should have as a world and then try to write something. And other people, maybe they're going to write a screenplay or maybe they're going to Um, write some music or some poetry or do some art. Um, I know many are doing art, Um, just something, you know, if all five or 10 or 20 million of us um, do something, we can change things, but we all have to, I, I really think it's easy. It's like, like I went to a Christian college and, and yeah, I studied theology and that's all boring and all the minute details. But if you look at, like um, Jesus teaching, like he said, it all is just about two things that loving God and your neighbor and God meaning whatever is divine and sacred in the world. So like it's the same with socialism. Yeah, you can study Marx and like argue about like the intent of this old 200 year old idea or this 100 year old book and and like see who's the most knowledgeable. But I don't know. That just doesn't interest me. Because, like, for me, there's this meme that's going around that's like, says something like that all you need to understand are that workers are not, um, that all of their work is going to make the billionaires rich, basically, and they're not getting even a fraction of what their true work is worth. It's like, if you understand that and have, I guess, what they would call class consciousness. I don't know. That seems like enough to go forward, but I'm a minimalist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and one more thing on um, the conception of space. I think I wrote my master's thesis on sacred space and I don't think about that too much anymore, but the whole idea of um, what I did is I looked at two opposing ideas of the view of space like land And the older tradition of sacred space is the indigenous one Mm -hmm. and uh, covers not only Native American, but other indigenous, like in Africa and Druids as well. The space is what the word is. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Inviolate or sacred in itself. Oh, inviolate. Yes. Sacred in itself. It's, it's special on its own. And we don't have to do anything to it, but just like 
be in harmony with it and protect it. And then the new view of sacred space is that it's related to human culture and that we humans create the sacred space. Mm-hmm. And this has some validity because um, like in, um, I guess the example of 9-11 in the two towers, we've created a sacred space there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of a war memorials, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that view doesn't see space as special, doesn't see the variations in the qualitative aspects of space. It's more on like, uh, how can you profit from it? How can you use it, uh, whether it's being used or not, or allowed to lie follow? And so like, it's all a capitalist-based notion of what's sacred, like how you can turn it into something that is useful to human civilization and profit. So, yeah, I thought of that when you were talking about the space. Yeah, no, that's actually, you know, that's something I forgot you did your master's thesis on sacred space, which I think is awesome. And I feel like this goes back to what we were talking about just right before we started recording, which is that, you know, we're so, you know, we're so human centric, you know, we have this, you know, you know, belief, human beings, like, you know, there's always the alpha, you know, we're at the top of apex predator, or whatever you want to call it. You know, I mean, it's just, I just think it's so I think it's just even the the name apex predator going back to like words as words as condensed forms of consciousness just says so much about just kind of that meant the mentality you know about where we are and how humans relate to other to other beings that have rights on this planet like we you know we're not stop I mean like I you know don't subscribe to like this apex predator thing at all Um, I can't even imagine it's just it's just so it it offends my harmony my desire for like living in harmony I mean of course death is a part of the great cycle of life but you know we're so apex predator like we're we're so predatorial on that level, you know, it really bothers me, for example, when I see felled trees, like, like, actually trees, well, I should even say just trees that are just like, what is it called? Clear cut. That's it. It it just, it psychically bothers me. um, Because it goes back to, you know, those in Arthurian legend about the wasteland and how we're living, you know, disrespectfully you know, towards a living being, which, I know. which we emerged from this living being. So yeah, there's just a lot to think about. Um, me, yeah. In that sense. Yeah. Let me add to that. Um, mm-hmm. For you listening, um, I have known Nicole a long time and she used to live in our neighborhood. And back then, a long time ago, before they started this light rail project, there were two, um, scarlet oak trees, beautiful old, old scarlet oak trees that our Druid group had decided to try, try and save. Um, we tried to contact people and did some public uh, demonstrations and some uh, blessings on the trees. And um, 
we found the guy who had first planted them and he came out one time. I mean, we spent a lot of work trying to do this. And of course they cut it down and, and the most, de- I wrote a poem about it because afterward, because I was really devastated as we all were, but the most devastating thing was um, when they cut it, they only cut the branches off. So they left the trunk and like a lot of the starts of all the branches and it was, they just left it out there and it was just the most disheartening thing because it was obviously people who cut down trees like that don't see it as having any valid life whatsoever. It's everything is empty space unless it's human, you know, it's just chemicals and stuff. Um, There's no meaning. There's no being, there's no life there. It's just, we see the world as us and empty space. And in that view (laughs) has got to change. And, and that's part of why we have political problems too. I mean, that's how the stupid Trump got elected is because so many people think that all these things just don't matter. All that matters is if if you can boss people around and make enough money. And that, that is just (laughs) maddening. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I, going back to the power of words and, you know, words as condensed forms of consciousness, we use words to distance ourselves from the life energy of things that are around us. For example, you know, trees that we've killed are called lumber. You know, like, like oh my I, God, yeah. so interesting. <laughs> oh my to, God, you're right. Instead of saying lumber, people should just really say, these are the remnants of that living, shining being that, that was across the street from me that that breathed in and out for 80 years, and this is the remnant. But instead, they just de-being it, and it's right. lumber. Yeah. yeah they, oh, my you God. Know, you're so right. And, you know, and it's just, it's just one of those things where I'm just like, it's so interesting to, and this is the the part of like being an anthropologist that's just fascinating. The kinds of words we use to detach ourselves from other forms of life. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and we do this with other things. Like when we eat pigs, we call it pork. When yeah. you know, chicken is foul. You know, like a beef. You know, yeah. these are the dead animals that we um, choose to kill. Um, in yeah. order to detach the way we think about it from life, from the actual life energy that it holds for us. So when I see like trees that are clear cut, I just feel like I experience it as like an amputation of their life. And so in the word lumber it's like Latin roots, I believe, is in the word loin. So it's about the legs or the body of the tree right. um, that we're using, but we're using language to detach ourselves from the consciousness of that particular life form. So that is there's just there's just a lot there to process and think about, like in terms of what we're doing. And that I think what you said about language is makes me think of 1984, how um, 
the political elite deliberately used a language and narrowed and narrowed the language so that the thoughts became narrow. And one of the things that came up in my book that I um, hadn't expected, but the idea that even though we have a world that works for everyone, everyone can have a place to live and have a job they like and uh, food and everything, and there's no more homeless. The thing is, people are still constrained by old ways of thinking. Um, yeah. There's remnants of that. And and that's still something like I have one chapter that there's this racist on the light rail who uh, attacks this young black man. And it's from an experience that I actually had, but I thought, why not project it in the future? Cause it's still going to be there. Mm -hmm. So like in the real life, I went up and confronted the guy, but in the novel, the main character has to do that. And it's exactly the same. It is the same. It is the same. It's just, it's just wild. I mean, and you know, that's the thing, you know, we, you know, we we can choose our battles. We can choose our moments to really confront things head on. But at the same time, I think we amplify our our energy also when we create the world that we want to live in. You know, and you know, even if we don't have a lot of resources, um, it's important yeah. not to not to focus on what we can't do, but focus on what we can do, like what we can do, like we're all capable of doing something that's yep. in service to, to all forms of life. So I, let me add yeah. to that. Yeah, so please. I've thought about that a lot. And I think the problem is that Americans have been taught this either or thinking like either I'm really poor or I'm going to win the lottery. And right. like, I, I started writing books, um, I've written five now and I started doing it years ago, partly because I want the message to get out, but partly because I have to support my family, my stay at home dad, husband and my son. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I realized it's like even 25 or 50 extra a month, you know, or 100 extra a month is something if you're trying to support a family. And it's the same way with anything. It's like maybe you don't have like everything but you have a little bit so you know you can do something people can do so much more than they think we're just trained not to think that we're important we're right. so trained not to think we're important yeah and we're so trained to think that we're not creators yeah we're capable we're capable right. of transforming our world and that we're powerless and we have a lot of really, you know, the more we cultivate our own energy um, and our own creativity, be it through meditation, through art, through poetry, through writing, through, you know, energetic practices like Qigong, mm -hmm. you know, for example, um, you know, we, we, we start to understand that like that, that energy is available to all of us. That's the energy of the mm -hmm. cosmos. You know, yep. that's, that's the fountain of renewal. Like when we tap into that universal energy and I'm not saying it, you know, in that like new agey way in the sense of like, right. like there's, but, but there's something to that as well. Like just thinking yep. about 
you know, our feet, like we, we live on this planet and we carry the energies of the planet within us as well. So, I totally yeah. agree. I, I really make this assertion over and over again. We are all like completely sacred and, mm-hmm. and the, I like what the Buddhist uh, teaching says that everybody has the um, seed of the Buddha in them. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's like this is the romantic versus classic approach to life. The classical is the elites in the beautiful Georgian mansion and, mm-hmm. you know, all that. But, like, I am I throw my weight in with the romantic movement throughout all of history that it's the, the common people, the supposed small people who can and will, like, change everything all the time. Yeah, yeah we really do. And I know we're coming to the end of the hour. So, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, this was, this kind of, this time really flew by. Yeah. But I know we we talked about reading a little bit. I wanted to read a little bit from this book that a friend of ours, Peter Berry, whose uncle is is Thomas Berry. Oh. And and Thomas Berry, transition some time ago but um i really really love this path a couple passages here and i'll just read them right here for a couple minutes um let me find the spot here it is so this in his chapter the universe story from the book recovering a sense of the sacred finally thomas began to speak very softly and slowly so that I could take down every word. And I should say the author of the book, the book is um, Carolyn Tobin, who had some conversations with Thomas Berry. So Thomas says, we are living in a time of historic confusion in which the sacred story has been forgotten and must be remembered anew. The survival of both the natural world and the human depend on it. Our fate and the fate of the planet is identical. We must shift from an entirely human-centered view of our existence to a realization that the Earth is a communion of subjects, a oneness of which we are all a part. It is not a collection of objects for our use. (laughs) We must enter into a new human-Earth divine relationship within a new sacred story that is emerging to meet the barrenness of this time. That's the paragraph I wanted to read. That was so beautiful and really relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that we're not, we're a communion of subjects, not a collection of objects. And that's what, you know, We've we've reordered the world in a way where we've dehumanized it, and it's a collection of objects for us to hoard in our house, you know, and that's the consumer mindset. But, yeah, Ruth keeps just shaking her head. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so great. We could probably talk for hours, but this has been, like, a great conversation And um, I really appreciate doing this podcast. So it was a great idea. Yeah. And, you know, and I think we have a few 
um, things to say that we're going to change the format a little bit, which is yes. instead of a weekly weekly podcast, we're going to go to a bi-weekly format where we can have more um, thematic content and uh, just, you know, give give us space to breathe a little bit and have a little bit more time in our schedule. So we will not be um, posting anything, uploading any new podcasts until January. Yep. But we will be around for Ruth's launch, which is on Jan- well, December 31st. So New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. And what time is it happening again? 7 to, I extended it to 10 because I think uh, there'll be a lot of people wanting to do readings and music. And I've, mm-hmm. I've been deciding I'm going to invite my favorite band they probably won't come but i have to invite portugal because <laughs> they've retweeted my tweet a few times so i'm like I know. and they have my one book capitalism must be composted so nice. and uh so at least they respond so I, i'm going to invite them but there's other musicians who will be there playing some music and mm-hmm. there's others who are doing some readings there's this great seattle poet She's really good, and she um, she's gonna do some reading. So I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be super cool. I know. Well, happy solstice, everyone, um, yeah. and happy holidays, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Hanukkah. What am I? Am I missing anything? I feel like there might be something, but whatever you celebrate. Yes. Have a wonderful time. And likewise, yep, blessed be. Yes, blessed be. Take care, everybody.